All right, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 21 through 26 today. And we, before we get in there, let's pray this prayer, and then I will uh, we'll pray our Matthew prayer that's in your song sheet, and then we will um, get into the text. Our Father, we thank you for this wise picture of Christ's life. Please reveal it to us deeply through your Holy Spirit. Teach us to listen well, learn well, and live out that knowledge. Renew our sight, refresh our hearts, and grant our desire to seek and follow you. Jesus, help us live our lives for you. Amen. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Here we see in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is speaking to us. These are his words. If you have a red letter Bible, these words are in red because the red signifies that Jesus is the one speaking. He is preaching and teaching those who are coming to him who would be his disciples and who are his disciples. At this point, we don't know how many disciples Jesus had gathered and how many are there, but he is teaching his followers what it is like to follow him and what we should expect as we do. Jesus is teaching a new kingdom ethic. So we have the old kingdom ethic, but this new kingdom ethic is the kingdom of heaven that he says will bring and it will be different than any other kingdom on earth. It is our ethic of when we prayed this this morning, our Father's will on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us how to live that. Here, Jesus begins with the words, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, Jesus here is doing something very interesting. He's setting himself up as a teacher. And you can see throughout the Gospels that people call Jesus a teacher over and over. And this begs the question for us today. Are you willing to listen to what Jesus has to say? Are we willing to really listen, listen in such a way that we will let the words of Jesus impact our lives? Jesus is teaching us the way, the truth, and the life. And that is different than the way that we do things and the way that our proclivity is. And we need to be reminded that as we too are followers of Jesus, as we sit under his sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, that we are students and he is our teacher. That we are learning his ways. That we go with him and he will go with us as we follow, as we do his uh, bidding. But we don't lead Jesus. He leads us. 
We learn His ways and we learn to do His will. And I pray that we might allow Jesus to teach us even this morning. Not only today, but every day. And even in those days, every moment of the day, that we will be learning from Jesus and learning His way for us. Jesus here is teaching these people on the Sermon on the Mount an important text in their culture. He's pulling it straight from their scriptures. It would have been a very familiar saying, you shall not murder, or thou shall not murder. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It comes from the book of the law called the Torah, the teachings that have been set up by God to help lead and guide his people. And the nation of Israel would have had these as their their preeminent rules. God gave these laws, and there are a lot of them, but the Ten Commandments are the big deals. The other laws help keep the Ten Commandments. All the other laws are are there just to support and keep these ten up because they're so important. And they were handed down to Moses on, on a mountain. And originally, the original ones were written by the very finger of God onto stone tablets. Do not murder or judgment will fall on you. This is the teaching of Moses, and this is the teaching that Jesus wants to expand to his disciples. When you murder somebody... It's not the same as an accident or what would be called manslaughter. The scriptures use the example of two people working together and they're working on something that involves an axe. The axe head flies off, hits one of a, another person in the head and kills them. That is not murder. This is an accident. It's manslaughter. They still need to go and do certain things to abate this. But, um, and, others, uh, and scholars also think that Killing somebody in combat of war is also not murder. If two nations are at war and you happen to be a soldier in the heat of battle and you kill an enemy, this would not be considered murder. So this is set up in such a way. I know one of the questions is that, um, that we have in our house is like, if God says you shall not murder, uh, why is there death in war? Well, some scholars believe that that, uh, that is not murder. It is the outcome of war. But murder is killing another human that you are mad at or angry at, and you pronounce and execute your own verdict over them. This is murder. You kill them. You take away their lives. It can be done in a wave of passion, right in the heat of the moment, or it can be meditated on for some time. It is what happens when you let hate and anger get a hold of your heart and you never learn to let go or control your emotions. At the end of the day, it is taking the life of someone who bears the image of God, regardless of you like them or not. They still bear the image of God. We all are made in God's likeness, and to murder someone, whether that person follows God or not, has nothing to do with it. But when we murder someone, it's to take away that life that didn't belong to you. It belonged to God and we stole that. Thank God for those of us in this room. To the best of my knowledge, we have kept this commandment. Amen? Like we have kept this commandment. None of us have murdered anybody. Praise be to Jesus. And in case I'm missing something and you have murdered somebody, please turn yourself into the police. Let them uh, and face the consequences that you have for your actions. And in that, may you find God's grace while living out what repentance would look like for you. I, I actually have met murderers who have also known what repentance and grace and the forgiveness of God look like, what it looks like in their life. And they paid the, the sentence that was due, uh, owed to them by the community as well. 
But even though we've kept this law, instead of giving us a good grade saying, okay, you got uh, A plus for not murdering anybody and, and saying, well done, Jesus is taking it to the next level. Jesus says that if you've ever called someone a fool, and then you've committed murder. I wonder if this would involve middle fingers on the freeway. That's just a question of mine. Or uh, yelling, yelling certain things. This, uh, one of the words in this section Jesus used is raka. And it could tra- be translated as empty head. Or fool. Or, you know, you fool of a person. And I'm sure if we used a whiteboard and we just had like a round table session right now, we could come up with a whole bunch of other insulting terms that are harmful that can probably be captured in the idea of Raqqa, even if not exact translations. But we can, uh, we can come up with some pretty good ones. And Jesus is telling us that if we don't acknowledge and respect the image of God in another person, then we too are guilty of murder. We too are guilty of murder. You've kept the commandment in principle, but you've broken it with your heart. That's what Jesus is saying here. The problem is, is that you still, even though you haven't killed anybody, you still hold on to anger and resentment to the point where it affects your relationships and your relationships die. So Jesus is teaching, don't murder. And also, don't hold on to resentment that leads to the division between his people. When he says brother, uh, most scholars agree that he's talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what this new family that Jesus is trying to create, this new kingdom. Um, and, and he doesn't want his people to be divided. If you think about Jesus right before he went to the cross, he prayed that they may be unified, that we might have unity. And Jesus is not just concerned with what goes on outside of our head and our heart and in our, just in purely in our actions. He wants our actions to be right. But even beyond that, he wants our hearts and our minds to be right with him as well. We can all follow the rules outwardly. We can all not murder somebody. But what about our internal life? What about the life that we can hide from other people, but we cannot hide from God our Father? The internal life is the life of the mind and the life of the heart. And Jesus wants to be king over these as well as our actions. Jesus is teaching the principles that go beyond the rules. It goes beyond the simple keeping of this to, again, this is his kingdom ethic. He is establishing this in our hearts and our minds and our lives. He is getting to the true will of God with these rules. It's not just that you won't kill anybody. It's that you'll reconcile and you'll love people. The will is God is not that we just don't murder in our hearts and our minds or outwardly but it's for his heart is that we be unified with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a beautiful thing. God's will is that we forgive everyone for every offense to the best of our ability, that we learn to let go of our grievances and not allow them to pollute our heart. A polluted heart will impact the way that we live for the negative. It won't allow us to see others as image bearers of Christ. And Jesus is concerned with repairing broken relationships. He knows this will happen. And yet Jesus is urging us on towards love for one another. Because God looks at our heart and he knows all that is going on in there. And he knows the difficulties that we face in coming to reconciliation. Jesus knows that living with bitterness and angry in our hearts is living in a place of anguish. 
it, it can be a living hell of our own making to live in these situations. And just like a murderer spends his days in prison, which is, you know, by all accounts, not a nice place. Jesus doesn't want us to construct our own prisons of hate because that's not a nice place either. It's not a good place to live. The word hell here that's used in this text is Gehenna, and it's derived from this place called the Valley of Hamon. And the Valley of Hamon was just outside Jerusalem, and it had once been a site for human sacrifices to the, uh, by fire to the god, of, god named Molech. It's not a nice place. This place that, that is Gehenna, that is outside the Valley of Haman, it's not a place where you'd want your loved ones to visit, wander, or spend any time. It would be like, you know, it would just be an eerie, evil place that a lot of death and murder in sacrifice to another god would have taken place. It is also said that this is the place, it wasn't used for habitation. They didn't build houses there because of the use of for this place, the God of Molech, it was made into a dump. And this is where all the garbage from the city and the refuge of the city was taken out and it was burned up in this place. It would smell bad. It would look bad. It would be bad. It's just simply not a nice place. And now whoever murders in actuality or in their heart is liable to live in this type of torment. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. Amen. He doesn't want it for us. Remember, Jesus wants to give us life and give us life to the full or life abundantly. And he is teaching us that reconciliation or to live a life free of hate, resentment, and bitterness is the way that he has for us. Uh, An abundant, a life of abundance by the power of the Holy Spirit is the life that is lived in forgiveness, in kindness, and in love towards one another. It is a life that is set up to be willing to be reconciled and live in unity with everyone. Jesus is saying, go and be reconciled while there is still time. This is something that we are to do to the best of our ability. It is our job to be reconciled to others because of the love of Jesus. Jesus is showing us how serious reconciliation is with his directive to leave our gift at the altar. If we remember where Jesus is preaching this, it's actually quite significant. We are are assuming that Jesus would have preached this all over, but his first kind of in full teaching would have been the Sermon on the Mount that would would have taken place in Galilee. Jesus, in keeping with the law and traditions, he would have been referring to the altar where you leave the sacrifice as the altar that was made in the, and it was in the temple at Jerusalem. So, When Jesus delivers this message saying, if you remember that your brother has something against you, not even if you have something against them, like that should have been cleared up before you even left, then leave your gift at the altar, travel 80 plus miles from Galilee, go back to Galilee, make things right to the best of your ability, then go the 80 miles back on foot or on donkey, which by the way, could take seven days of travel each way, plus the reconciliation. So we're over two weeks. Jesus is saying that it's this important. Leave it there. Leave it there. It would be if I said this, okay, we're not doing communion today. I need you guys this week. I need you to walk to Olympia. It's 80 miles from where we live. Like, so it's 80 miles from Makaltio. And, um, I want you to walk to Olympia 
I want you to make things right with the, that person that lives there that has something against you. Then walk back, all right? And then we'll serve communion to you. There are times when reconciliation is this costly. That's quite a sacrifice, right? To be reconciled, to walk that, that 80 miles and back. And then not only that, after the sacrifice, you still have to walk back home. It's additional miles that you're putting on and, and a lot of sacrifice that takes place to make this happen. Jesus knew this. And by the way, he doesn't want us to harbor bitterness against, against the person for having to travel all that way. You don't want to travel all the way, ah, I need to make up with this person, that blah, blah, blah. You know, that's not the heart of it. It's not, his heart is that we don't harbor bitterness, not for the to journey or the fro journey. We just love him. Later, Paul would teach us that the followers of the way, and the way is what is being the way of Jesus' life. We are to have the ministry of reconciliation because that is the ministry that Jesus had, and he's given it to us. And Jesus knows the cost of reconciliation and making unreconciled people reconciled again. For us, we know that Jesus, in order to reconcile the fact that we don't keep the law perfectly, thus we have sin and impurity in our life, that we cannot dwell with God and make ourselves clean enough. Jesus reconciles us through his blood shed for us on the cross. Amen? For the forgiveness of all our sins. Jesus gave his life and his body and his blood so that we might have the opportunity through his grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit that he left for us that we might be reconciled to God. That not through any work of our own deeds, but through the loving heart of God, our Father in Christ for us. This is how we are forgiven. And now when God looks at us, he looks at us through the, the, the view of Jesus and we are called brothers and sisters in Christ. We are, uh, we are um, adopted into the family where God is our father. And then God gives us the Holy Spirit to live out the same ministry that Jesus had because Jesus, our king and our God, but he is also our friend and our brother. Reconciliation is costly, and Jesus knows this very well, even as he's giving this sermons. The reward is great, right? This cost is grace that extends to us. The rewards are fantastic. And however, we know that sometimes it costs a lot to be reconciled. Jesus also gives us another picture of a couple of people going to court. And he says it's better to settle on the way than to go through with the proceedings. Right? And again, this is assuming that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. When it, is, when it is asking to settle the matter, Jesus is asking to re-befriend the person. To offer them all the grace that you would offer to a friend. This is what Jesus is saying. This is a practical advice that is still good today. See, if we take someone to a court, we're assuming that the judge will side with us, right? We're assuming it. But if we settle outside of court with court with grace and humility and friendship, taking our anger and sense of injustice out of it, letting those aside, letting go of them, then this is good advice because we don't know what the ruling will be. I've walked with many people through courts and court hearings, and they thought that they were right in their thing, and the judge disagreed with them. Yeah, and it's not good. It's not good. There have been plenty of innocent people, by the way, who have had to pay unjust payments to the law, even in a just society. 
Jesus knows that even innocents will face injustice from time to time. And he doesn't want that for us, and he doesn't want us between our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you notice, Jesus is doing something kind of crazy here. He's interrupting two very important things to their culture. One is the religious service. Hey, leave your gift at the altar. Walk. Okay, I know it's going to take two weeks. We'll wait for you. Right? And the other is a governmental service. So pause the worship service to be reconciled, even if it takes a few weeks. Pause the courts. And it doesn't matter if you had your date or if you cancel it at the last minute. Don't worry about the delay or confusion in the courts at, at, at the cost of reconciliation because reconciliation is more important than making sure you keep your appointment. The message of forgiveness and reconciliation is at the heart of Jesus' message here. It goes beyond don't murder, doesn't it? goes beyond don't murder and as we live this we will be honoring god the image of god that god gave us to us right we all kind of feel our own sense of image of godness a lot of times but he also gave it to others and we live with forgiveness and reconciliation because this is healing for a broken heart and for a broken world i would say this living with reconciliation at times can be very very hard We don't always know what people have against us, especially in the Northwest where we're all passive aggressive, right? And so uh, we have a hard enough time sorting through our own hearts, our own emotions towards somebody who has wronged us. Uh, And sometimes it takes us extra measure of grace to see if we've actually harmed them as well. Let alone, so when, as we have a hard time with ourselves, let alone some of the things that people might have against us Sometimes, to be clear, sometimes what somebody has against us is legitimate. It's true. You hurt them. You need to go to them and see what it is and consider what the Holy Spirit may have for that. Sometimes it's due to lies that they are believing or maybe a misunderstanding that would be simple that would happen there. And for us, we can't control that one way or the other. We can't control others around us. We don't know how someone is going to respond as we go to seek reconciliation. I know that in the request for reconciliation with folks, I have actually been told, uh, you are the worst human I knew. God bless you. I hope to never see you again. And it's just like, oh man, that kind of sucks. Or as I've apologized to a person, the person has forgiven me, said thank you for the apology. But then when I call them from time to time, I never hear back. This is the cost of my offense to them. This is the cost of that broken relationship with that person. I'm not in charge of how they respond to me. And there's still pain and brokenness. And I'm certainly glad that Jesus came and he uh, has paid our last penny. He has paid it. Jesus is what Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking us to do this to the best of our abilities. As far as we are able, we get to seek out reconciliation. We are not responsible for the reactions of others when we seek this out. And uh, I, for one, am deeply convicted by this text. I know that in my life, not all my relationships are what they could be. I know for a fact that people have stuff against me. And uh, for some, I know what it is. And for others, I don't. And I, um, I don't know what it's like for you today. I don't know if there's people that have stuff against you. You might be in the same place for me or maybe a slightly different one, but, uh, and all of your relationships may be fine. And that would be amazing and a great grace from God. For those though, who are like me, like 
I have to examine my heart that, uh, uh, for what I'm holding against people. Making sure that even though I've set up boundaries that I'm not holding on to anger and I'm not counting that against their, their offenses towards me against them. I need to consider if reconciliation is an option. And in honesty, it might not always be. But I have done all that I can or all that is God is asking me to do. I'm going to leave us with this question. It's actually a question that my good friend Richard Thompson gave to me, and I really, I deeply appreciate it. He said, he said this, is there somebody that you need to reconcile with? Maybe it's because they have something against you or you have something against them. Have you done all that God has asked you to do to seek reconciliation with this person or people? Have you done all that is in your power to reconcile? It's a heavy question, actually, when we consider all our relationships. This is the heart of the ministry that Jesus has left for us. I pray that we might forgive for their offense towards us and that we might consider the cost of reconciliation as well. That we can open up the eyes of our hearts to the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in this. To seek out those areas where we try to hide even from ourselves, maybe areas in conversations where we've just simply tried to justify ourselves and how right we are. And even if we are right, we can lay down our our need for being right for the sake of reconciliation. If someone has wounded us repeatedly, it doesn't mean that you have to have a closeness that you once had. I think oftentimes uh, repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation means that it just needs to be back to same old, same old. And it doesn't. You can reconcile and still have boundaries. But we don't need, we don't, uh, we don't let our need for boundaries trump the command of Jesus. As far as we are able, if we've done our part, then that's enough. And I pray that this week you will just talk with Jesus about it. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you the grace and forgiveness and the healing source of reconciliation. I, set, I had Mo set up communion this week, and we're going to leave communion right here. And we're going to walk to Olympia. I'm just kidding. We're not walking to Olympia. We're going to leave communion right here to give us some time to consider this. That we, I want to make sure that when we take communion, that we're, we've examined our hearts. That it's something that we do every week. And it's something that we come before and it. And it, it doesn't lose its meaning or its flavor. And Jesus, as he said, leave, leave it at the altar and walk. At least we can then consider and I'm gonna, in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to have a moment of silence. And I pray that we will just let the Holy Spirit look into our hearts, that we can pay attention. And I believe that we will be spoken to by God today, even in, in the hearing of this and the considering of this, that God would speak of those, um, those areas in our lives, those severed relationships where he might want to bring reconciliation. And, and he might instruct us on how to do those because sometimes it's trickier than other times. So, Father, we come before you. Lord, I thank you that none of us have murdered in actuality. And yet, Lord, in our hearts, we've still harbored bitterness, anger, resentment. We've called people fools. We've said things that are not right about other people. Lord, we're not as reconciled as we could be necessarily. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you will come, that you will speak to us, 
that you will shine a light even in the places where we might not expect. Lord, I expect you to come and speak to our hearts on who we might need to reconcile with. Father, this is a, this is a hard word that you've given us, and yet your grace is over us. So Lord, please, in your grace, be upon us and let us live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.